Welcome to the MLM.com podcast, brought to you by InfoTrack Systems. I'm your host, Kenny Rollins, and today's episode is the first time we're doing a, a three-person podcast, and I'm joined today by Steve Hooper, who's the Vice President of Product Management at InfoTrack Systems, and Nancy Tobler, who's the Editor-in-Chief at MLM.com. Uh, hi, Steve and Nancy. Hi. Hi, Kenny. Uh, so today we're going to be talking a little bit about the, the history of the direct selling space and specifically about how products play into to that history. And uh, right now, I think uh, a lot of in the past few years, a lot of attention has been brought to uh, business claims and, and people getting too much focused on the opportunity. And, and one of the responses is, hey, we've got really great products in this space and it's a, a space that's founded upon uh, bringing great products to people, uh, and so today we wanted to, to kind of go back through uh, through some of the history of the the direct selling space and talk about products and and how and their role in the opportunity and in the the marketplace and kind of where we see the product going. and And Steve and Nancy have both uh, been associated with the MLM space for a long time, uh, so I think it'll be a fascinating discussion. Uh, so Steve prepared some a little bit of history, and I thought maybe we'd start there, Steve, with you walking walking us through uh, how we got to where we are. Great, thanks, Kenny. I, I think you know this this is the perfect topic to uh, to discuss because you know it's difficult to ever overstate the importance of product and product strategy within a, a direct selling company. You know, we go back and look at the success of companies, most importantly, the long-term success, we'll see they're built on uh, great products and on loyalty that, you know, that product kind of brings to a customer base. So those, those things are important to talk about. And maybe it is uh, we step back in time, have a little bit of a history lesson because uh, we need to appreciate, uh, you know, where we came from and then look to the future as uh, we continue to evolve uh, in the point of technology and education and uh, intellectual distribution. So, um, so step in at any point, but a, a quick history lesson. You know, we, we've, we use this word a direct seller, but if we go back in time, there were hawkers and peddlers and traders and itinerant merchants and caravans. These are, you know, all parts of an ancient tradition you know, that originated in, in a basic need that people had to exchange goods and to communicate. Uh, it evolved to doorbells and catalogs and, you know, purchase orders and all those things. But as you look at how direct sellers established ties, it was first with their neighbors and then they began to travel even with, you know, geographical barriers. But um, what we started to see at this early onset is that they needed accessible routes to facilitate trade. Uh, to have, and there was a barter system. I mean, we can go back to 2000 BC. I mean, one of the um, cultures where direct selling was heavily influenced was that of uh, in Babylon. And in Babylonian law, there's the code of the Hammurabi, and it's part of that, and it protected the general welfare and the integrity of the Babylonian direct seller. I mean, think think of your policies and procedures today, do you ever agree to this? It says, the peddler shall swear the oath of God if enemy caused him trouble in his travels. And it also said that the merchant who sells goods must be aptly compensated. So we've, we've had this history of peddlers, um, traders, 
and it goes and it evolves through history. I mean, think of um, the the other societies that grew, be it Athens or Egypt, the caravans that we had going on. Um, we can think of the traveling merchant as cited even in mythology. Ulysses is listed, this mythical hero, is he's posed once as a merchant or a direct seller. He went into the king's palace and he had um, ornaments that he placed on his arm and the king's daughters were so engrossed with these, you know, everything that was in his pack. Um, Shakespeare wrote about a direct seller. He, uh, he wrote The Winter's Tale and it was inspired by a girl peddling flowers. So we, we have these models or this historical reference and then we kind of bring it forward into, and if we'll use America as an example, into early America. And you think of an immigrant population. They began filtering into the American territories in the 18th and 19th centuries, and many of them became direct sellers. Um, you know, they took trails or treks on trails that were marked by nature or by our Native Americans, those who had uh, possessed the land here. And those trails evolved into major roadways, eventually turnpikes, and you then saw this influence on trade. And that kind of brought us to where, you know, we start looking at some of the opportunities, be it land or water, that we see that this culture of direct selling, you know, something that we really began to share as a people. And so now we look at what, what then did it evolve into. And I think we could maybe point even to uh, where direct selling really, we think of it being pioneered in the U.S. by with the establishment of Avon. That was in 1886. And you think of the success of the model. What was that model? It was getting a lower, a lower sales and distribution cost and a greater interaction with the customer. And so you had this in the initial Avon product portfolio that then swelled. I mean, it was cosmetics and personal care. And then you saw other companies jumping into household goods and accessories and other products over time. Well, I think kind of one of the, the points that, that you bring up is something that I've heard a number of guests that we've had on the podcast bring up in, in that we talk about direct selling as a market and in, in, in the sense it is. But in another sense, it's, it's not, you know, you don't have Avon and Tupperware competing against each other. They're, they're selling different products. This is a distribution channel, right? And, and that's kind of the, I think we'll get into that more, is that it's not a specific category of product. It's a specific distribution model uh, that, that enabled people. And, and so we are tied together in that we're fighting for similar legislation and protection and, and making sure that the model can survive. But not everybody in direct selling is a competitor with every other direct selling company. Yeah, and I think that's where that product falls into play because um, in order for it to be successful, it really has to be something that a customer will be loyal to or passionate about, that they're willing not only to take and, you know, and to use as part of their wellness regimen or personal care, but something that they're also willing to talk to with their friends. And so you're right, we don't, you know, we don't really compete. It's a question of what products do people become passionate about and are willing to uh, kind of share their voice. Yeah, I think it's interesting that Avon, early on he was, uh, he was selling Bibles or books and he found that if he added perfume to them, 
women were more excited about the perfume than they were the book. Uh, so it's, it's also a, a channel that is very sensitive to, just like you said, Steve, the connection to the consumer. The consumer is passionate about it or excited about the product. And that's what creates the dedication to <clears throat> the brand. So carry, carry that to the next step, because we go from Avon and think of everything that was going on in the world at that time. And we've got the World War I and what transpired there. And then you're sitting here on the brink of World War II. And we've got you know women stepping into the workplace like never before. Right. Uh, we have an, a need, um, it, even maybe more so for convenience, for education, uh, for distribution, and this is one where, again, that um, there were no barriers. No matter your age, no matter your race, no matter your gender, your level of education, you could step into a role of a direct seller. And it was one who was going to go out and peddle or hawk or share or tell a story. Um, and as we, as we got, and we looked at those direct selling models, and then you get into that era, Neutralite started, I think it was in the 1930s. Right. And about 1945, they introduced multi-level compensation. And so this, this notion of a business, not just my business, but my ability to also receive compensation from helping others by training them in their business and supporting them, uh, I was able to then grow a, a more dynamic business. And so we, we had a, a soft transition our introduction of from direct selling also to direct selling and downline compensation for the first time. And look at the people that stepped into the industry then. What companies came out of that? Um, Tupperware. Tupperware. I mean, Tupperware is a household name. You talk about people say Tupperware. That is, it's not only a company, but Tupperware defines that brand globally. We had Amway step into the marketplace and start really with a focus on those household goods and then getting into personal wellness. You can look at Shackling. We just start now looking at what companies and opportunities uh, did people start to find without, again, respect to any barriers. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Um, I'm thinking of the Mary Kay story. She, she's there in the 60s, uh, just a little bit later than what you're talking about. But the idea that there's not a glass ceiling and uh, she had worked in corporate America and really felt that the glass ceiling was an impediment to her move forward. And she said, there's no reason for that. And so she started her own company in a way to break that glass ceiling way before we ever even had words for the word glass ceiling. Uh, so it's, it's interesting, I think, that the product has has a message. I think Shackley's another one, right, where early on before the environmental movement really ever even had a toehold, you had Dr. Shackley saying, we've got to stop poisoning the environment, right? We've got to use products that are non-toxic. Uh, and or, he did, I don't even think he labeled them organic, but they were, in a sense, organic products as well. So I think there's just some really interesting things that came out because there was a uh, I mean, the environmental movement had started when Shackley came along, right? You have what is the woman who wrote the the Silent Spring, right? Oh yeah, from in the forties. 
Yeah, but I uh, don't know her name. I don't know her name either, sorry. Uh, but it's, it's just interesting how direct selling is, picks up on a small chunk of the market that is thinking a different way or using products in a different way or wants the world to be a different way and it takes hold. I, I, say, I think it's a wonderful thing about the product history. Well, and I think that, that goes into, it's not just a, a distribution channel of goods, which, which it certainly is, but it's also a distribution channel for education, for information. And so, yeah, you get these like-minded people uh, who uh, care about something, and, and now they have a community that they're a part of. There's a, a way of sharing information. And a lot of times that, that ends up translating into more mass adoption, right? So right. you take what Tupperware's done, right? And like you say, they're now a worldwide name associated yeah. with a certain type of product. Well, take Shackley. Shackley created, in essence, this, this brand for vitamins and nutritional supplements and those things. We can look at others. Um, I still remember you, taking alfalfa tablets. Alfa, yeah. <laughs> or, or think of the Cambridge diet. Protein shakes really came into play. Uh, A.L. Williams created the whole brand of term life insurance. I, I mean, so we look at these companies, like you say, that the product is out in the marketplace, but people don't know about it. They don't know that it's affordable or how it can be introduced. And that's where the direct seller takes on this role. And we come in, and as an industry, we've established you know, these very large product categories that did not exist before. Aloe vera is another one that came through direct selling. When it's stuff that you, like you said, you don't, you, these are things that people don't even necessarily know they need. And I, I use need and, you know, people would argue whether they do need them or not. But they don't know that they exist. And even if you picked it up off of the shelf at a, a, at a grocery store, you'd have no idea how to use it or what the purpose is behind it. Uh, so then it also becomes, you know, a channel of education, right? Not just to the distributors themselves, but to uh, their, uh, to their uh, customers. And, you know, one that I think we're seeing right now is I see essential oils all over the place now in mainstream marketplaces where, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you, you wouldn't have seen that. People would have had no idea what to do with them. Uh, and, and Young Living and doTERRA have certainly pioneered the way uh, for that to be the case. Well, and, and maybe we ought to talk, you know, on MLM.com, and Nancy can speak to this, but a recent article that was published was by Mark Rollins. He's the founder of Infotrax, and you know, he talked a bit about, you know, a company's product strategy and, and the importance of it, because it has to be there. Uh, they have to be products that are of value, products that are good, products that be it organic or that need information. And he introduced a formula, he called it the METS, M-E-T-S. And in order, he said, for a product, uh, for a company to have a viable product strategy, that the product um, needed one of these components. And either it was motivation, education, training, or support. So, so think for just a minute about some of the companies that we've talked about. Um, what products would need really motivation and some support? I mean, a weight loss product. Let's look at weight loss as a whole, that for someone really to be successful, uh, I think we've come to see that they need that community and the direct seller is there is to motivate the individual and to give them the support they need. Because a protein shake or some weight loss pills on themselves 
how many people are able to just carry through and see the success. And that's what this is ultimately about, is that, that consumer's ability to have success with a product. Yeah, and to that point, I'm a person who has struggled with weight and losing weight. And one of the things that you read over and over again in studies after study is that the support factor is key to any sort of long-term weight loss and support and accountability. And there are companies in the direct selling space that have harnessed that because it really is an ideal platform for that. You have your distributor who can also serve as a health coach, as a, a person that you're accountable to, as a person who can provide motivation and support. So I think you make an excellent point that there are I mean, yeah, you could go into Walmart or any of these big box stores and buy weight loss powder, buy pre-made meals, right? But they're not providing any sort of accountability or any sort of support like you see in this space. Well, and to tie back to your question about um, essential oils, let's look at Young Living and doTERRA. What is it that they do? They've come in and they now are educating people. So if we go back, motivation, education, training, and support, they're educating people on the value of you know, these high-grade essential oils and what those benefits can be. Where else are you gonna get that education? Where are you gonna be trained, and they are able to then train, and use the word of a health coach or someone else, uh, to go in and to provide that education to an individual? Yeah, and I think that's an excellent point. And one of the things that I'm actually fascinated with um, in today's environment is that that training, I don't think, is only about how to use the product. Because you use the word high grade uh, in talking about the essential oils. And one of the things that with globalism and, you know, the fact that we can buy so many things so inexpensively, uh, so easily, you, you do start to wonder, I've started to wonder more and more when I go on to Amazon or something, what am I getting? I'm a, a relatively new parent, uh, and I've surprised myself a little bit, and I, I'm worried about the toys that I'm buying and the things that I, I'm doing. You know, are they going to have toxins in them, or, or are they going to be unsafe? And one of the educational aspects of this channel is safety. How so both how to use the products, but also what distinguishes your product from another one. And, and you see this all the time in like a Walmart or a Walgreens or any of these stores. You've got two products on the self shelf right next to each other. One's substantially cheaper a lot of times. And, and how do you distinguish, well, why would I pay more for this? And that's one of the things that you get in direct selling uh, that, that you don't get otherwise. Uh, one of the things I've been thinking about here is that uh, one of the side effects, uh, I, I don't think, I don't think if we go back through time, it was a primary motivation for why people joined direct selling, but I think one of the side effects of all of this motivation, education, training, and support is the personal development of the person who's learning to do that. That just uh, thinking of women early on when they didn't have a, a ladder uh, to move up, they Mary Kay taught them how. She, she taught them how to run a business. And part of that was teaching them this motivation, education, training, and support. But by teaching them that, they in turn developed those characteristics of someone who could run their own business. 
You know, and it, it's interesting you bring that up because this is one of the things, Steve, in pre- preparing for this podcast that you talked about and kind of the history, and you mentioned it as you were going through it just now, is that there was an opportunity there uh, for people who otherwise didn't didn't have the same opportunities, whether because of their ethnicity, their gender, right, their education level. A- anybody could come in and try to make a difference. And I just was reading an article uh this morning about women in the workplace uh and and it's i won't get into politics but it's related to the current supreme court uh nominee uh and they were just talking about that decisions can sometimes be made in a more casual environment right and the commentary on it was well that is that's one of the things that women often miss out on is that there can be a casual environment, whether it's uh, basketball games or sporting events or, or just whatever it may be, that they don't get the same mentoring a lot of times. And I hope and I think we've come a long way in that. But like you say, Mary Kay early on provided this network for personal development and career development that, that was lacking. Well, yeah. I, I think we have come up, you know, because this industry has provided a source of personal development for women that I don't think has had. This, I think we're still 75% women. It's 75% women, which tells you what, what, are they, what are they looking for that they are not finding out in a traditional workplace or an opportunity to have a home-based business or the products that they are that they want to talk about and share they become passionate and then that could be again a wellness product it could be a personal care it could be clothing right. i mean we look at these success stories of companies today and and this industry again 75% women tells you right there that they are being that there is a fulfillment yeah. um, in terms of personal development which i think you started to touch on is that there is no there is no ceiling yeah. I don't have to worry about this casual environment, that I can create a home-based business opportunity and work when I want and how I want and talk about the things that I want to talk about and share. And I can choose to make it a part-time, to pay for my, my kids' braces, to take my family on vacation, to do things that I want to do, or it could be I want to be a, a business leader and I'm going to grow a business. I mean. Look, Mary Kay is just an amazing story yeah, and an amazing woman there. When I think, I mean, I know we're kind of wandering in and out of product and, and other observations on the industry, but it does become uh, a very strong meritocracy, right? Because what is rewarded is defined in the comp plan uh, and, and, and the numbers, in a sense, drive what happens there and that's not saying that all people are in this just for the compensation element of it because I know a lot of people my mother included and my wife included who have never made a dime doing direct sales but are a part of a bunch of different direct sales organizations because of of the community and because of the products well and and I think this may be inter you know we step this into another discussion maybe even from a business perspective because go back and look at how were products initially sold you know with the the onset of take these direct sellers who eventually set down roots and established a general store and then the need to get in factories spun up and the need to get mass distribution and we had department stores that came into play and what happened to those department stores in the department stores there was training you had 
a store clerk that was trained, I mean, be it in a cosmetic section and a home appliance section, and they were trained on the product, how to use the products, what the benefits were between several different brands. And then we get into this mass production, but then all of a sudden what happens? We get into this companies coming in going, well, we're going to drive costs down. We want to be the sales leader. I mean, look at the success of a Walmart. Now, do I go to Walmart to get educated on a product? You know, we've, we've gone these big box retailers. It's about physical distribution of product. We're going to get product to you. We're going to put it in your hands at the lowest possible price that we can for you. So that's kind of shifted somewhat the burden of education or product knowledge to the consumer. Because yeah. when, just as you said, when you go to a store today, you're looking at brand one or two. If you were to ask a store clerk, could they tell you the difference between those two? Yeah, probably not. No, would you expect them to tell you the difference between those two? Yeah, I wouldn't even ask. You wouldn't ask, and so what are they there for? They're there for physical distribution. It's to push product, to turn it as quickly as you can. So counterbalance that with what does a direct seller do? A direct seller provides you know, and again, Mark speaks to this. Paul Zane Pilzer was an advocate of this. He talks about intellectual distribution. The direct seller is there to tell you what the benefits of this product are, why you need it, to introduce you because you don't even know it exists, and to show you that it is an affordable product that can help meet a need that you have as an individual. So, you know, we've shifted, and again, I think of my store experiences. You know, when I go on Amazon, I'm going out and I'm looking at reviews and I'm looking at information from other people, but then we get into why is it that I would buy from a direct seller versus you know, an online retailer, that trade route that the internet has created that the caravans used to go across, that's there, it's readily available, but Nancy, why do you buy from someone that you know? What is? Well, I think the trust factor, I think it goes back to what Kenny was saying, I'm not sure uh, when I buy a product on Amazon that it's not covered in lead, right? It came out of a, a system that doesn't test where we are so conscious in the United States. I think another reason I buy uh, is that I, I, th I think this Faith Popcorn talked about this. I think another reason we buy, especially as women, from other women is we want to support people who are doing good things. We want to support them as a as a person who wants to run a home business, uh, and we also want to support them because they are a woman and they're a mother. It's just a connection we create, a trust uh, relationship that I'm going to buy that product anyway. I might as well buy it from you. So I think there's a couple of reasons why I'm more willing to buy from a direct seller than I am online well, in, even in that, particular. Yeah, like that social interaction. Think of what is a home party? I mean, first of all, the word home just, I mean, th there's something there that just pulls you right in, but it's a group of friends or family getting together, sharing a social experience, enjoying the interacting, and in today's world, where does that happen? I mean, yeah. between fake news and fake accounts and everything, and we put our most glamorous image on you know, yeah. every social media site. Whereas this is... Well, I don't, but most people. Yeah. <laughs> but this is friends and neighbors that are gathering and, and developing bonds and strengthening their community and, like you say, supporting a home-based yeah. business, getting educated, get, having, 
you know, a, a stronger tie than just going and buying something off the shelf. Yeah. Well, and and I don't mean to come across too anti-Amazon there because I'm well aware oh, that Prime I, Day is come is. Oh, I I now. order off Prime. I yeah. ordered a book I, this morning. I <laughs> ordered last night. <laughs> so no. But I have had a couple of experiences that reinforce this notion to me. So uh, my wife this this past Christmas was ordering wanted to buy a Magna Doodle, and so she went on and bought something that was a knockoff, right? And it came. And all of the packaging was riddled with spelling errors. The grammar didn't make sense. It was very cheaply made. And she was like, how did I get duped? And you're just seeing this proliferation of just secondhand or knockoff products because Amazon has become such a force that you have to be a little bit more savvy. And then also we bought a lamp and it showed up from Amazon and it was in a Target box. And she was like, the heck? Target sells on Amazon? And I was like, no, this is, they call it arbitrage, pricing arbitrage, where they go and find a deal where they think, I can resell this in the Amazon marketplace for more. And so she went and looked it up and, yeah, paid $20 more for this lamp than if she would have ordered it off Target.com. Yeah. And so I, I think experiences like that more and more are going to make people more and more skeptical. And you talk about, Steve, the term fake news, right? There is, as information becomes easier and easier to put out, I think you're going to see an increasing distrust of information just from from non-personal sources. If you don't have an experience with that source, there's going to be an inherent skepticism. And so I think that is one area where direct selling will be able to continue to shine is in educating people on products and the differentiation on the products. And I think what also supports that as well, too, is direct selling is product-focused, customer-focused, and you look at current regulatory, I mean, just dovetailing what you're talking about, you know, you have to have a consumer experience. You have to have products that consumers want and who am I more likely to buy from? I mean, the FTC, you know, as they look at the regulations right now is they're looking at that consumer aspect. And this is where direct selling companies are uniquely positioned, like you say, in a world of misinformation, mistrust, to look at the relationships that people naturally have, products, Nancy, that you said you're already buying, and a friend says, here's a an opportunity, here's something that I'm doing and excited about, and yes, I'm more inclined to buy from somebody that I know than otherwise I've got a lot of education I've got to do myself to go out and find out about that product and what it can do for me, go through the quality of the product that you talk about, go through the fake news, the misspellings. I mean, I, I ordered something recently online as well too, and you, you could tell where's this product being shipped from I knew what I was getting, and I got the first one and fired it up, and it worked. And then the next day, a second one arrived in the mail. Oh, and I'm oops. like, okay, that's an interesting, you know, so there's still some underlying processes. And now I've gone through the effort of returning it back and being a good citizen, doing all those things. But you're like, okay, whereas if I knew somebody that I trusted that I could just get, you know, my family was traveling recently the transmission on the car goes out. 
Who do I, what do I do? I don't start calling mechanics. I called a friend in the area and said, could you help me out? Who do you know there? Right, and, exactly. And, and my friend said, here's who I know. I ended up getting that transmission casing replaced for about a third of the cost that if I'd gone just to a retail uh, establishment. And it was because I trusted my friend right. and, you know, and was willing on their recommendation to go with a certain one. And I got my vehicle back yesterday and I'm as happy as could be. And so now we start looking at, that's why I say, I think direct selling is uniquely positioned to uh, you know, strengthen that customer experience and that loyalty that a customer has because we are motivating them, we're educating them, we're training them, we support them, and we give them the intellectual distribution that they're not gonna find anywhere else. Yeah, I think that's a, a great note to end on. I appreciate both of you joining us this morning and uh, it, it is gonna be interesting to see how the industry continues to evolve. Great, thank you. Amen. And that does it for today's episode of the MLM.com podcast, brought to you by InfoTrack Systems. I'm your host, Kenny Rollins. A special thanks to Steve Hooper and Nancy Tobler for their time this morning, as well as their thoughts, insights, and expertise. If you enjoy the MLM.com podcast, please rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We want to thank Jana Bengeter for production support, and we look forward to you joining us again next time.